How are you this morning? Has it been a good uh, couple of weeks? I understand you guys have had some weather. You know, uh, it's, it's nice to be out of town when it's 100 degrees. Um, I'm usually, I, I used to really enjoy going to camp meeting at this time of year because camp meeting is over on the coast up north and it rarely would get that hot. One time I remember being 100 degrees and I spent all of, can I see it? I hope you're not offended. I spent all of Sabbath in the water this deep. I literally, I was, I was way above the knees. I was this deep. Just because it was so hot. But it never, it never got hot up there. Um, we were, Brenda and I had been gone for about three weeks. Um, in those three weeks, we were in Europe most of the time. We were, uh, well, the whole time, except when we were flying back and forth. Um, we had a great time together. Um, so if we were talking about it. I think it's the first time that we have actually gone on a three-week-long vacation together. Um, I have gone off a few times and done things and uh, been gone for that sort of length of time, but this is the first time we have actually gone off and been gone for that uh, length of time. Um, uh, I watched a little bit of what was going on here. We seem to be holding things together as we were about, uh, off and about going other places. Um, I uh, thank you for that. Thank you for the fact that we came back in the place we're still here. It's amazing. Um, as we get started this morning, I ask you to take a minute and pray with me. Uh, Father, as we open your word, I pray that you would open our hearts to you. That the time we spend together might not just be our time, but you might speak to us. That the word might touch our hearts. That your spirit might lead our conversation. And we surrender this time to you, asking for your grace, your authority, your power, and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, just uh, a, a, a quick reminder, uh, don't miss next week. If you're planning on going on vacation, delay it. Don't miss next week. That's all I have to say about it. Don't miss next week. Uh, August 3rd, for those of you who are counting, that's next week. Okay? Uh, don't miss next week. This week we're going to talk about a poor reflection. What are we talking about? A poor reflection, a poor reflection. It actually comes not as it relates to you specifically being a poor reflection, though I think most of us are kind of poor reflection, a little bit distorted, a little bit messed up. But as it comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, um, we read this passage and we always read it for a, a discovery of what love is about and how, how Paul describes it. But I want to pick up a particular element of it here, and I'm going to read from verse 8 to verse 13. Uh, love never fails. Where there is prophecy, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror, dimly. But then, face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. You know that Torn Wells song that we've been talking about? We actually sung it a few times. To be fully known and loved by you. To be fully known. I wonder if this is the passage. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. 
but the greatest of these is love. Did you catch the phrase? Did you catch the phrase? It's verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. The concept here is that these, the mirror that you're looking in doesn't give a great reflection. Uh, now, for us, that's a little weird because we live in a time when mirrors give a really good picture of us. But remember, when the Apostle Paul is writing this, a lot of mirrors were simply shined metal. A lot of mirrors were made of, of brass or bronze, actually, and they were just polished metal. And so you would look at yourself, and it would be a little hard. There would be a little bit of a, a shaded look to it. It wouldn't be real clear. And if the polishing didn't go perfectly, it would be warped. Have you ever stood in front of a warped mirror? You don't get a good perception of yourself necessarily in a warped mirror. Although I did stand in front of one once uh, in a hotel, and it was warped right about here. And I just, I, I just stood there in front of it looking immense right here. I was 17. I, you did that kind of thing when you were 17. I think I might have even taken my shirt off. But most of the time when you're trying to get a good picture of who you are and what you're looking at, the, what, that mirror is very important. Paul is saying, we now see as in a mirror a dim reflection. King James says a dark ref reflection. We're not getting a real clear picture. There will be a clearer picture, and he promises that that will come. But right now, we have sort of a, a poor reflection, a dim reflection of what's intended. Here it is in, uh, in the, uh, the, the text, verse 12. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Right now, we don't see so clearly. Now, I feel like you have a good, clear representation, a clear understanding of God. I feel like you really understand God well. Let me... Let me Quickly do a little short, brief, tiny little experiment. Turn to someone near you and tell them about your favorite pet. It could be a pet that's alive. It could be a pet that you don't own anymore. It could be a lizard. A, or it could be a rat, a cat, a dog. I don't care. Turn to someone near you. And if the person is in front of you, talk to the person in front of you or the person beside you or the person behind you. Okay, got it? Go. Some of you aren't talking. Pet haters. Tell them what you liked about it now. Tell them what, don't leave anybody out. Tell them what you liked about that, that lizard you once owned. Some of you are saying, I hate animals, pets. I had an ant once. I stepped on it. All right, so here's the next thing. Here's the next thing. Now, now. Tell them what you know. Tell them what you know is true. Tell them about the personality of Jesus. Go ahead. Why is this so much harder? Why is this so much harder? It was just a simple experiment. It was, what do you know about this animal that you used to have in your house? And the other thing was, what do I know about the person I claim to follow who is leading me to heaven? What do I know about Jesus? What do I understand about the personality of Jesus? What are my, what are my, what, my uh, connections with him? What are the things that make me understand Jesus? I wonder what the words were that you shared. Compassionate caring, 
loving, accepting? What were the words that you were sharing sharing about the personality of Jesus? Would you apply those same words to God when speaking in Hosea? Or in Jeremiah? Would you apply those same words to God in Leviticus? Or Deuteronomy? Or when the earth is shaking at Mount Sinai or whatever? Would you apply those same words? Caring, compassionate, merciful, loving. Because they're the same, right? Jesus is the exact representation of God in human flesh. So they're the same, right? Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. Would you apply the same definitions about Jesus to the Father in the Old Testament? You're supposed to, right? They're supposed to be the same, right? Read your Old Testament. Please read it. Read it. Watch for it. He's there. That same loving, merciful, caring God is there. If you haven't been reading along with us through the text in the last couple of years, plan on doing it again. Plan on starting with it. I noticed someone started with us uh, like two weeks ago. Fine. Pick it up here where we are. We're like in in Isaiah. There's just so much of the tender, merciful, loving God of the New Testament of Jesus in those passages if you keep your eyes open. And you have to ask yourself, you have to you have to clarify, you have to consider, you have to use your mind to engage those places where you're struggling to understand. An unexamined relationship with Jesus isn't much of a relationship. An unexamined relationship with your spouse is probably not much of a relationship. We have to think about those things. We have to consider them. We have to understand them. I love that we talked about the names of God today, that we sang about the names of God. Did you see that one that one slide? We were just repeating your name. But did you see all of the descriptive names that were on that slide? There must have been 30 or 40 of them on that one slide. As there's an attempt to describe who God is, the, 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 the expression just explodes. We try to get our mind around this description. Why do we have trouble with it? I think there's some obvious reasons. Uh, the, there's a fog because of the distance. There's a fog because of the distance. Um, if you were given the opportunity to describe the personality of John F. Kennedy, could you? Even if you were alive back then. If you were alive in the early 60s, late 50s, could you describe the personality of John F. Kennedy? Famous person, right? There's been a lot written about him. There's, there are books, there are movies. There's a lot written about him. Could you describe him? Well, you could throw out some words. Could you be confident? Could you be confident in the accuracy of what you just told the person next to you about Jesus? To make you squirm just a little. Part of our problem is the distance between us and God. Part of the, uh, the, the distance is just the simple fact that he's the creator and we are the created. That he gave us this much brain, which is awesome. But you have this much brain and you have an eternal God. This much brain and a great big God. You're never going to get it. It's actually a really good thing because the moment you can describe the creator, the moment you can completely and fully understand the creator, you get to be the creator. And as I've told you before, nobody wants that. Right? 
There's a distance created simply because we are the created and he is the creator. This passage from the Message Bible, Isaiah 46, 5, just hit me hard when I read it. So to whom will you compare me being comparable? Can you picture me without reducing me? As soon as we start to describe God, the very choices of the word diminishes. Does it make you not want to say anything about God? Does it make you want to kind of hold your tongue about what you think you know to be true? Does it make you want to start those sentences with what I think I understand is The reality is our God is beyond the description of his creation simply because of the distance. Because he is immeasurable. He is incomparable. He is omniscient and omnipresent. Words we don't even really understand the meanings of. He is infinite. Backwards in time and forward in time. Most of us are good with forward in time. But when you start talking about infinite going in the opposite direction, which it has to do by its definition, now we're in trouble. Because we're out of the possibility of linear thinking. And we moved on to a scale we don't even understand. We've passed physics up. We've, uh, we've moved in through me- metaphysics and onto something that we've yet to pick a word for. Because there's so much difference between us and God. It creates doubt. You ever breathe on a mirror? Your breath creates doubt. Stay with me for this little tiny bit of an illustration. And the image gets distorted. The moment I open my mouth, the image gets Crazy, isn't it? And yet he's asked us to tell his story. He's asked us to tell our story through him. So now I want you to do one more thing with your neighbor. Tell your neighbor what you've experienced. And you, got, you, you don't have the whole lesson, okay? Tell your neighbor what you've experienced that makes you follow Jesus. 30 seconds, go. Okay, that's long enough. I can't wait 30 seconds. Sorry, it's just not my nature. I hope you got enough out for somebody to be able to understand why you follow Jesus, because that's the bottom line here. That's what the story is. That's what the calling is. Here's what Jesus says about Israel, who was a nation called to explain their experience with God. And this is painful. The very people I depend upon, get that word? The very people I depend upon, servants of God, are blind as a bat, willfully blind. 
You've seen a lot, but you looked at nothing. Stop. You've seen a lot, but you didn't know the results. You didn't really look beyond the surface. You've seen a lot, but you've looked at nothing. You've heard everything, but listened to nothing. God intended out of his goodness, out of the goodness of his heart, sorry, to lavish, lavish in his revelation. Lavish in his revelation about his son. He is trying to let us understand him. He's trying to reveal himself to us. He's trying every morning when the sun comes up to tell us something. He's trying every day when our heart beats to tell us something. He's trying every day when we look into the eyes of a child to tell us something. We live in a world that's miraculous. And we've tried to explain it with physics. I love physics because physics gives you answers about things. And I like having answers. But not everything can be explained with math. Not everything can be explained with theorems. And when you start talking about God, it becomes very difficult to try to make two and two always come out to four. Sometimes where God is concerned, two and two becomes 30,000. Or five and two becomes the the lunch of 15,000. Because when God gets involved, things don't always add up in the normal way. We must look at what he says. We must examine. Because we've been called to be his witnesses. He said he's depending on us. If no one says a word about Jesus in this generation, it's over. Right? He's very much depending on us. If we decide not to talk, if we stop paying attention, if we stop reoccupying ourselves with hearing, it's over. So we've talked about the distance, which creates a difficulty, a fog. We've talked about the fact that our very expressiveness, the the opportunity to try to explain things, creates some of that fog. As soon as we talk, as soon as we try to put it out there, we lose some of it. The scripture says, look, we haven't been very careful about our examination. We haven't been listening closely. We haven't been paying close enough attention. We need to be more aware of that. And I know this is talking about Israel. Don't shrug it off and say it's them, not me. It's us. It's them, and it's we, and it's me, and it's you, and it's us. We all have the same problem. We struggle to catch what God is trying to show us. If you're new to your Christian experience, you're 15, you're 10, you're 12. If you're early in your experience with God and you're 55 and you've never done this before, it's a big project you've been handed. This is an elephant to be eaten. This is a lot to take in, but it's the same process, one day at a time, one moment at a time, one bite at a time, carefully, thoughtfully chewing on it, carefully, thoughtfully considering it, carefully, thoughtfully, thoughtfully walking it through in your mind, piece by piece, moment by moment, day by day, second by second, we we venture into this thing and the adventure comes out of us. If you're at that point in your life where there's a major transition, <clears throat> you've never had kids before and you're about to get one, pray. Other than that, just understand that this is going to open up a new thing in your life. That first child, you know what it's like, those of you who had children, that first child changes everything. 
I heard a preacher say, if you want a real experience on learning how to pray, have a kid. You will learn how to pray. If you're, if you're about to change something in your life, you've, you've, you're moving in a new direction of your life, you, uh, you've just gotten married, you're headed off to college, something's about to change for you, hang on to your hat because things are going to move, things are going to change, things are changing dramatically now. A new identity will be yours, a new direction, maybe a new place. And as all these things add up, God is in the middle of them. Pay attention to what he's doing. Pay attention to what he's saying. Read the scriptures slowly, thoughtfully, pray slowly, thoughtfully. Set aside a little extra piece of time. If you're not praying, start praying. If you're not reading scriptures, start reading scriptures. Because you're going to need the guidance of God for this journey. If nothing has changed in the last 35 years for you, you're lucky. Because one thing is true, it's that everything changes. I have one more bit on this fog distance. And this is one of the big ones I think that we deal with. There's a fog created by religion. I didn't say it was created by Christ. I didn't say it was created by God. I didn't say it was even created by church. I said it was created by religion. Religion is our attempts to define God. It's our attempts to structure something that makes all of us able to interact with him. Religion is an attempt by mankind to express and understand him. And you already heard that it's just the words we use bothers religion. This building called the Black Cathedral. It's in Cologne, Germany. Can you see why it's called the Black Cathedral? They didn't paint it this color. That is dirt. That is hundreds of years of dirt that's collected on that building. It's, it's the dust and grime of, of passing years. It's coal dust. It's automobile uh, dust. Uh, um, exhaust it's just people's breath it's dirt it's lots and lots and lots of layers and layers and layers of dirt it was a clean spot we climbed 584 steps to 34 steps to see that clean spot from the bottom to the top of this thing it's ornately decorated and carefully carved and i loved what was the comment that was made by the person who was leading our, our group, the tour that we were on when we were looking at this, the lady said, um, you, you go to the top of this building and you will find that everything is minutely detailed because though you can't see it from the ground, God sees everything. <laughs> it's true, but it kind of creeped me out a little bit too because it's one of those pieces of religion that is there to really kind of keep you in your place. You know, we say the same thing about Santa, right? which is weird all by itself. The one thing I really loved as we got up there in the top and started looking out was that there were some angels there that were still clean. It's not because they washed them, it's because they were new. They had to replace the old angels. Every once in a while, an angel has to be replaced. And those angels were new. If you see that black spot, it's not a fly. You know, the church always puts up fences for our protection and that's what that was. Religion, it's, it's kind of a fence for our protection, right? 
kind of uh, an opportunity for us to be safe. We're not doing anything stupid. Do you know why they won't wash the black cathedral? Well, it was built over hundreds of years, and they used different colors of stone at different times. And so they're afraid if they wash it, they'll reveal what's underneath. Isn't that just like our religion? I'm not their religion, but our religion. That we're afraid if it gets too clean, if the things get scrubbed off, people will see what's actually underneath. I wore my suit and tie today so we could talk about significant things. I'm entering into your kitchen, and I'm going to ask you to sign on the dotted line before we leave. Right there on the table. Paul said, we see through a glass, right? I am not opposed to religion. I like religion. I'm a religion guy. But it really messes up our understanding of God. When religion defines God instead of God defining religion, it becomes a problem in our faith. Religion doesn't save people. If it did, All we would have to do is get them through the door, sit them down, and they'd be good. Religion doesn't save people. Jesus does. And you can be very religious and not know Jesus. You can be very religious and not know God. You can be very religious and not experience what it means to be transformed by the love of God. You can be very religious and not be saved. But I want to challenge you to get past the fog of religion. What do you do when you're living in a fog? Not all of it is your creating. This building didn't get dirty because anybody wanted it dirty. It got dirty because of time. The distance between us and God is normal because we were the created and he's the creator. The reality is we don't understand it. We won't understand it. We can't understand who God is. I don't know if in eternity we can fully understand God. There will always be a separation in what this little brain can take in. So what do we do about it? Our world is confused by our confusion. What do we do about it? Our world is confused by our lack of transparency about our confusion. Think about that. That's a confusing statement. The world is confused by the lack of transparency about our confusion. If we would just say once in a while, I don't know. Too big a topic. The world would be better off. You get a lot more credibility with a person by saying, I really don't know when you don't know than trying to make up an answer that doesn't make sense. I want to challenge you right in the contract across the table now to be open about what you Be honest about what you don't know. When you're talking to your neighbor and you say, hey, come to my church, and they say, why should I go to your church? I say, I don't know, I like it. It'll be a lot better than trying to explain the doctrinal positions of your church. I like my pastor most of the time, except when he wears a tie. Sliding it across the table. Hear it's coming. Shouldn't have polished the table. It's getting too thick here. 
I want to invite you to be transparent about what you don't know. Easy? Worthwhile? Making people cry. We have unconsidered conclusions that shape our own faith. We have beliefs about God we've never actually done. We have beliefs about Jesus we've never walked through. How many of you, when I say Jesus is the same as the God of the Old Testament, just kind of struggle with that a little? How many, how many of us, when we open the text and we read about the thunder and we read about anger and we cre- read about unleashing all this judgment, kind of go, oh, that's not fun. I'm going to skip to Matthew and start there. When I was a little kid, I was given a Bible. It was about that big. It was red. It was the New Testament and the Psalms. Those were the safe parts. We have unconsidered conclusions that shape our own faith. I want to invite you to consider God can deal with your frustrations. God can deal with my questions. God can deal with our moments faithlessness. God is not afraid to deal with this. We shouldn't be either. Let's pray together. I'm reading you this fine print of a contract now. Are you in? We have unconfessed failures as individuals and as a group. Right? Sometimes the church has been involved in politics. Sometimes the church has been involved in criminal activity. Sometimes the church has gotten on the wrong side of historic understanding. Sometimes the church has joined things that God would not join. Sometimes the church has done terrible things in the name of God. It's okay for us to say, yes, we did. Because if we're going to testify, if we're going to talk to our neighbors and our world, we have to be honest about this because if we're not, they're going to blow us up. We live in a world of information. They can Google what you're telling them. But to be able to say, yeah, the church has done some things that were wrong. The church has really messed some things up. This is just practical reality. Follow a truck. Do you know what the spiritual equivalence of following a truck is? It's getting in the path of somebody who's been on this and at this for a long time. Follow a truck. Get in behind somebody whose faith is mature and follow them through the fire. 
get in the path of somebody who's thought through their faith and understands what they believe and follow them through the path. Follow a truck. One of those big, hairy, I can see over everything in front of me, trucks. Follow a truck. Watch the lines. Do you know that line, that white line on the freeway is called the fog line? I didn't know that until I lived next door to a, a highway patrolman. Yeah, it's called the fog line. You know why it's there? Fog. Follow the lines. There are things that are clear in Scripture. Follow the lines. There are things that are clear and, and understandable. Follow the lines. Measure the things you don't know against the things you do know. Measure the things about God that are unclear to you against the things that you know are clear to you. The things that you've read, the things that are open, the things that are, are full revelation and out there for us to understand. Measure what you don't know against what you do know. Did you ever do Sudoku? I don't do it. I just watch my wife do it. And I make suggestions while she's at it. I'm helpful, I think. You know, you, if, you, if you haven't done it, it's a bunch of numbers on a page that, that have blank spots. You're supposed to fill in the missing numbers. And it has, to, it has to have one through nine going up and down the line. It has to have one through nine in this little square. And it has to have one through nine going across this way. If you haven't done it, all this is like mystery to you. What's interesting, interesting about it is the only way you can do it is to know what you know and understand what you don't know and compare the two. You want to watch the lines? Know what you know. Think about, understand, consider what you know because the world is depending on you to figure this out. They're in a fog too. And their fog in a lot of ways is more dense than ours. We've added to it. But the lack of clarity from God is making us fall. I'm telling you, man, follow the lines. Follow a truck. Follow the lines and turn on the lights. Doesn't sound that hard, does it? Follow a truck. Watch the lines. Turn on the lights. Turn on the lights. Jesus is the light. You want to know what we can determine to be true? Look at Jesus. You want to know what you can weigh the text on? Look at Jesus. If you want to understand who God is, look at Jesus. Turn on the lights. This is the same church. As it got dark, and it didn't happen until it got dark. And it had to get dark enough they turned on the lights. And when they turned on the lights, it became a completely different thing. Same church. It's beautiful. Spectacularly so. A.J. Jacobs wrote a book. 2007, it was published. It was called The Year of Living Biblically. If you haven't read it, you should. It's a fun book. It's an interesting book. It's a book that will challenge you to tell the truth. He talks in that book about being very anxiety-ridden one week. He talks about being super stressed out because he's coming to the end of his year of living biblically. 
and he's not sure he's done everything. And he said, I, I didn't pay my five shekels for the redemption of my firstborn child. I missed so much, I barely know the Bible. He actually mentions in that moment, he says, I haven't talked to a Seventh-day Adventist. Maybe they have the secret. And he was getting really anxious because he was trying honestly to understand. He was kind of in a fog. But he was trying to get a light. Trying to, trying to, trying to find a truck to follow. He was struggling. The Bible says, and he was trying to follow what the Bible says, that you should comfort the widows. And his aunt, his great aunt, actually, his great aunt had lost her husband, his uncle. And he, he decided that he was going to go to lunch with her and comfort her. Because that's what the Bible said you were supposed to do. I love the fact that he was simply trying to do what the Bible says in the best way he could. It's, it's not a bad way to live, I think. And Jacobs went to lunch with his aunt here. And they talked, and he said, this is my only aunt who's non-Jewish. She's a committed Catholic Christian woman. And he said, during lunch, she talked about the love of God. She told me that God loved her so much she couldn't believe it. She couldn't hardly understand. How could God love her more than she loved herself? It was, it was phenomenal to her. She talked about how great it was to be loved by God. And Jacobs, Jacobs ends this, uh, this passage of the book, and you're, you're really almost at the end of the book. It's like day 367. He's past his year. And he says, when I left lunch, I felt at peace for the first time ever. Because he realized it wasn't about getting the information he had been trying to get. It was about recognizing that he was loved. For the first time ever in his life. After he spent some time talking to his aunt. Whom he had come to comfort as God said he should and she gave him hope not because she explained everything but because she said you know what I've experienced I've come to understand 